It's good to see so many here this morning, to see those who have been battling illness, so many of them back. Also wonderful to see visitors amongst us. And again, I, I want to encourage everybody, everybody that's here this morning, if there's any way possible for you to be back tonight, please be back for the evening service. That's an all, every Sunday thing. But with as many of us as there are here this morning, if we pack 100 more teenagers in here, it'd be awesome. Last Sunday night, we talked about Nadab and Abihu, two of the, the two eldest sons of Aaron. We examined who they were, and we looked at some of the incredibly special blessings and privileges that were theirs by virtue of being sons of Aaron. For example, they were heirs apparent the office of high priest. We discussed Nadab and Abihu's family heritage. We discussed how their uncle was Moses. We discussed some of the miraculous Israelite history that they either experienced firsthand or were very, very familiar and acquainted with by virtue of their being children of Aaron, nephews of Moses. We talked with those two about how their father and their uncle were instrumental in the 10 plagues that God put on Pharaoh. How Moses and Aaron led the people through the Red Sea on dry land and perhaps even Nadab and Abihu perhaps following along and, and stepping in their dad's footprints as they crossed the Red Sea on dry land or where the Red Sea had, had come up on both sides. We talked about how they were there that earth-shaking day in Exodus chapter 19 and even accompanied their uncle Moses and their father Aaron and the 70 elders of Israel as we read about in Exodus 24. We also, in discussing Nadab and Abihu, briefly announced how they, they must have witnessed the tragic events brought about by their very own father's compromise when he made the golden calf in Exodus 32, and, and they, they saw, they had to have seen the destruction that was caused in the midst of the, the congregation of Israel there as 3,000 of their brethren were killed by their brethren, again in Exodus 32. However, despite all of the tragedy that Nadab and Abihu saw or heard about firsthand, as a result of everybody from Pharaoh to their father trifling with God and not giving God the respect and the obedience that he deserved, despite all of that, Nadab and Abihu will forever be remembered for one thing and one thing only. Leviticus 10, 1 and 2, when they offered to God that which he had not asked for in worship, that which was profane or unauthorized fire. That's what they will forever be remembered for. Apparently they didn't learn from all the things they saw that God is all powerful and what God asks for you give him. However, this morning, no I'm not going to re-preach last Sunday night's lesson. This morning I would like for us to focus on another couple of folks of that same family tree. Turned out entirely differently, though. This morning, I'd like to talk about a couple of others in that family tree to whom some of those same experiences, plus a few others, 
apparently did matter, and it did make the right impression, and it did make the right impact on their lives. I want to talk this morning about two who did learn to love and respect and obey and defend the law of their Lord no matter what. They weren't like Nadab and Abihu. A couple who apparently did take to heart how mighty and how awesome and how deserving of our love, and how deserving of our adoration, and how deserving of our praise and our obedience, God is. And that would be Nadab and Abihu's brother, Eliezer, and his young son Phinehas, as we would read in Exodus 6, 23 through 25. I'm going to ask you, though, to open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 3. Please open up this morning to Numbers chapter 3. And, and while you're turning there to Numbers 3, just want to say that when Eliezer's two older brothers, Nadab and Abihu, in Leviticus 10, 1 and 2, offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them, and fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before him. When that happened to Eliezer's two older brothers, Aaron's two eldest sons, Eliezer, was later put in charge. We would note this from Numbers chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Now these are the records of Aaron and Moses when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab, the firstborn, and Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. Aaron had four sons. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the, con the anointed priests whom he consecrated to minister as priests. Nadab and Abihu had died before the Lord when they offered profane or unauthorized, depending on your version, profane or unauthorized fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So, Eliezer and Ithamar ministered as priests in the presence of of Aaron their father. If you follow in this same chapter and you go down to verse 32, look what it says. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, was to be chief over the leaders of the Levites with oversight of those who kept charge of the sanctuary. Now, apparently, and rightfully so, when fire came down out of heaven and consumed Nadab and Abihu, that made an impression on their younger brother. If you saw your two elder brothers offering to the Lord that which was not authorized and fire came down out of heaven and destroyed them, would that get your attention? Not only did it get, had to it not only did it have to have gotten, I can say that, their attention, but Eliezer as a result of that is then put in charge. And as we go through the book of Numbers, we see a vast amount of additional events which certainly must have had a profound effect on Eliezer as well. And not only did it have a profound effect on Eliezer, but apparently on his son Phineas later on as well as he grew up. For example, you'll recall with me in Numbers chapter 13, let's turn there, Numbers 13 and 14, you'll recall with me in Numbers chapter 13 and 14 the story. God has told the people they can go into the promised land, he says, send over spies. They send over 12 spies. The spies go over. They see all this wonderful stuff. They come back. Joshua and Caleb say, hey, we can go do this. The Lord said we can go do this. 
But those other 10, they said, oh, no, we can't. They're so big and so bad. Yes, I'm paraphrasing. They're so big and so bad, we can't do it. We cannot take, the pro we cannot take that land. It's just too much for us. God was very angry because God had told them that they could. So look at me in Numbers chapter 14, beginning at verse 26, and see what happens there. 14, 26. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. It's this because they wouldn't go in and, and take the promised land, like he had said. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me will fall in this wilderness, all of you who were numbered, according to your entire number from 20 years old and above. Except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they'll know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses will fall in this wilderness. Your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, for each day, you'll bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they'll be consumed, and there they shall die. Now the man whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by plague before the Lord. Would that get your attention? God's not to be trifled with. So, here you've got certainly Eliezer as a witness to all of this. And, and what about these younger people that are under 20 who heard this and, and then saw it borne out in the four decades to come as their parents died in the wilderness and they could not enter the promised land? When you, when you stop and you, you see so much of that and, and you see these 10 die by plague before the Lord, Eliezer was learning lessons that he would later pass on to faithful Phineas who caught them, as it were. In Numbers 15, if you'll turn there with me, even more of an education. In Numbers 15, verses 32 to 36, you have a man who goes out and gathers sticks on the Sabbath. Now, they've been told not to do this, not do any work. And so, he goes out and he gathers sticks on the Sabbath. Don't know what to do with him, so they pray, and the Lord says, stone him to death. So they do. If you were part of that congregation, would that get your attention not to mess with God? Would that get your attention to say, if God said, hey, do this this way, I need to be doing it that way. Think, think about this. Not only are the plagues, not only are the, is the marching through the Red Sea there, but when you stop and think about the unauthorized fire, when you stop and think about all of these different things, somebody should have been getting the idea, God is God and you don't mess with God. And Eliezer was getting it, and we'll see that shortly. But, but look here in Numbers 15 for, for just a moment. After we talk about verses 37 through 41 and that man stoned to death, look what God says in verse 37. 
Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. A blue thread. At this point, if you've seen everything they've seen, are you going to use a red thread? What if you prefer red over blue? Guess what? It ain't about you. God said blue, so you use blue. There's some of us in worship today. When I say some of us, I'm talking very generically. We may prefer over the taste of fruit of the vine. We may prefer coffee, hot chocolate. You know, it'd be better on a... Guess what? God said fruit of the vine. That settles it. God said a blue thread. That settles it. You don't mess with God. He loves us. He knows what's best for us. And all he wants, all God has ever wanted is a family that would love him enough to trust him. That's it. Did you ever think of that, the whole story of the Bible? Do you ever think of that? All God wanted was a family that would love him enough to trust him. That's it. And do it his way. So anyway, tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations. Put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you'll have the tassel that you may look up on it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. And that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. What is God's point? I am God. And I don't want you to ever forget that. Why? Why is that so important? You see, God said this for many reasons. I, don't, I do not uh, want to tell you that I can read the mind of God, because I can't. But there are many reasons, I'm sure, for which God said that. But one of them, it would seem to me in my mind, would be that God knew full well that in the years to come, men of pride, arrogance, selfishness, and evil hearts. Sometimes leaders from amongst his very own people would continually rise up who would not humbly and obediently submit to his authority, but they wanted things their way. Stop and think about this. Men of every generation would rise up and do what was right in their own eyes. Isn't that what they did in the book of Judges? Judges 21 25, rose up and did what? What was right in their own eyes. They didn't care what God said, they can do it their way. Some of them would be kings. King Saul, we're studying in the Tuesday morning, adult, uh, Tuesday morning Bible class at 10 o'clock. We're studying King Saul. King Saul did what he wanted to, 1 Samuel 10 through 15. God knew that some people would rise up Generation after generation, even up into the New Testament, look at the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. Not only them, but some of the people from amidst the elderships or congregations that we see the Apostle Paul address in Acts 20 and verse 30. God knew that men would need a reminder to do it his way. Because men would rise up and want to do their own thing. And in fact, not only do we have, not only do we, can we look at that and see it in the New Testament, can we see it today, but we can see it in the very next chapter. The very next chapter. Numbers chapter 16. 
Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. They rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel. 250. Get that? 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They don't like what Moses is doing. Now, remember, God had selected Moses, right? <coughs> Burning bush, remember the story? That was God's choice. It wasn't Moses' choice. Moses tried to get out of it. These men don't like what Moses is doing. Notice they were leaders of the congregation. These weren't just, you know, Joe off the street, recently proselyted type people. Leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. Is that what the text says? That is what the text says. And Korah was a Levite. Levites were those, that, the, the priestly, uh, that served God as priests. So these were, these were leaders. And they come, and they're very, very upset. Look at verse 3. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron. You want to talk about odds? 250 to 2. That's, it's not as much we're going to talk about later on this afternoon with Elijah in 850 to 1, but still, 250 to 2 is pretty strong. And what do they say? They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much on yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Who do you think you are? We're all just as good as you, Moses. Moses, what's with this holy, self-righteous, holier-than-thou attitude? That's what they're saying. We're just, the whole congregation's holy. Who do you think you are, Moses? We don't like the way you're doing things. Apparently, Moses, it's your way or the highway, and we're getting tired of it. That's the implication. In verses 4 through 15, Moses makes a very humble, but yet very firmly uncompromising stand. Humble, but uncompromising. Or what some today would call intolerant. <laughs> when, you, when you stand up for God, even if you're humble, but you're not going to compromise what God said, you're intolerant. But you know, intolerance, when it's defined that way, is a very godly trait. Did you catch that? Intolerance, when it's defined as a firm, uncompromised stand, loving but uncompromising, is defined as intolerant today, but it's a very godly trait when it comes to battling those who rebel against the authority of God, just as we've seen throughout. And if you don't think so, if you think that statement was, eh, I don't know about that, if your hair is falling out or grayer like mine, mine down here is grayer, then you understand this concept maybe more so than, than some, of, some of our younger folks, just because of what you've seen and experienced over the years. But I, I want to tell you something. In, in culture today, intolerance is used as a bad, dirty, nasty, terrible word. Okay? And I just said that being intolerant is a very godly trait if it's done humbly, lovingly, but still firmly convicted. Okay? If you don't believe that, consider this. How tolerant was God 
of those two who offered unauthorized fire. How tolerant was God of Nadab and Abihu's offering him fire? He, he wasn't real tolerant, was he? How tolerant, as we use the term today, of God, how tolerant was God of those spies who had refused to take the promised land? Remember those 10? That's why I read about them. Remember those 10? Died by plague before the Lord. How tolerant was God of those guys in their opinion? God said, well, it's okay. You know what, you boys, you got a different opinion than me. That's okay. We'll work with it. Is that what God said? No. How tolerant was God of the guy picking up sticks on the Sabbath? I'll tell you how tolerant God was. About as tolerant as he's going to be of here, as he's going to be here of Korah and his companions who have also chosen to rebel against him in an event which Eliezer has a front row seat. Pick up with me in verse 28 of Numbers 16. By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works. I have not done them of my own will. This is Moses defending himself against these leaders. He said, if these men die naturally like all men or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. Moses said, okay, here's the test, I, no problem. But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into the pit, then you'll understand these men have rejected the Lord. Came to pass as he finished speaking all these words, the ground split apart under them. The earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them all up with their households and all the men with Korah with all their goods. That's how tolerant God was of those who rebelled against him. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed over them. Not only did they go down into it, but the earth just come back together. And they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord. We've seen that before, haven't we? Yeah, we have. And consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. A fire from the Lord took 250. Now, we're probably about 100 and we're probably about half that this morning. Imagine a fire from the Lord coming out and taking twice as many as there are in this assembly. Just boom. God is not tolerant of those who reject him all the time. Then the Lord, here comes Eliezer. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell Eliezer. Here's his front row seat. See what happens to Eliezer? Eliezer's seen this. Tell Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy and scatter the fire some distance away. The censers of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them, be ham let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore, they're holy. And they'll be assigned to the children of Israel. So Eliezer, see, he's seen all this. He's, 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 he's got it. So Eliezer the priest took the bronze censers, which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering to the altar to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who's not an attendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord that he might not become like Korah and his companions, just as the Lord had said. Now, if you've seen all this, if you're Eliza, what are you thinking when it comes to God? If you remember the congregation, what are you thinking? What God has just done. You know what I'm doing? I'm getting on my knees. And I'm bowing down before the authority of God. I ain't messing with him. But you know they didn't? Do you know the very next day, as we read on in the text, did you know that the very next day, even after that, a fire, this, the earth opens up and swallows these people and closes back together and fire comes down and takes 250 of them. The very next day, 
They still didn't get it. According to verses 41 and following, the very next day the congregation complained about that act of God. And another 14,700 of them died before Moses and Aaron could intervene. 14,700. We send out house to house, heart to heart. If I remember correctly, the amount of mailboxes that house to house, heart to heart goes to is around 2,100 mailboxes. That's the whole 74337 area code. Everybody in that area code, Shoto goes, you know, it's not just the town proper, but the, that, that area code goes, zip code, that's what I want to say. That zip code goes a long ways. 2,100 mailboxes. The people who died by plague the next day, 14,700, that is seven times the mailboxes we send house to house to. Seven times 21 is 14,7. Would it get your attention if God dropped 14,000 people just like that? Apparently it got a leasers. It got a leasers. Later on, after Moses disobediently strikes the rock the second time around, instead of speaking to it as he'd been commanded, as we talked about last week, God said, to Moses, neither you nor Aaron are going to enter the promised land. Numbers 20 and verse 12. Guess what? It was Eliezer, Aaron's son, Phineas's father, who would take Aaron's place at the time as high priest. If you look in your Bibles in Numbers 20, verses 23 through 29, this is what you're going to find. You're going to find that because, again, Moses had struck the rock and he'd been disobedient to God, that Moses and Aaron, neither one are going to enter the promised land. And so God tells Moses, he says, take your brother Aaron. Take his son Eliezer and you go up on Mount Hor. When you get up there, you take the priestly garments off of Aaron. You put them on his son Eliezer. Because Aaron's going to die there. And indeed, that, you'll find that's what, what happens in that text. Up they go. Aaron's not coming back. His son knows it. They get up there, the garments, priestly garments taken off of Aaron. They're put on Eliezer. Aaron dies. If that were your dad and you were Eliezer, where'd that get your attention? Get mine. Now, all those things had to make an impression on Eliezer about how holy, how righteous, how deserving of our love and adoration and obedience God is. And so Eliezer, we know, passed that along to his son Phineas. Now, as you consider all this, let me give you just a quick aside here. As you consider all these things, here, here's the beauty of this. Some may be looking at this and saying, wow, God is really harsh. No, God's not harsh. God's holy and righteous. God deserves our obedience. God has all authority. God's not being harsh. But here's the thing, it should make us appreciate what we just did all the more when we realize this is the same God in the New Testament, but God, instead of, instead of unleashing that kind of wrath on us for our sins, he, put, he sent his son here to die and take all of that wrath. God is just as angry at sin now as he used to be. God hasn't gotten soft in his old age because he doesn't age. 
And when we think about sin and think about rejection of God and think about disobeying God, anybody that does it deserves the same thing, according to God, because he's righteous and holy. But isn't it wonderful to know we have a God who came to this earth in the flesh and put himself on a cross so that you and I wouldn't have to face that wrath? Isn't it awesome to know that Jesus took the pain and the suffering for every sin that you and I have ever committed from a God who's capable of that? Isn't that awesome? That's what I'm here to celebrate this morning. But moving on with Eliezer and Phineas. Apparently this made an impression on Phineas. If we go ahead, remember Phineas is Eliezer's son. If we go in our Bibles to Numbers 25, we'll see young Phineas and what an impression it had on him. Either these things he'd seen or heard about firsthand, and he knew that obedience to God was everything. Numbers 25, 1 and 2. Now Israel remained in the Acacia Grove. Numbers 25, 1. People began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. You know, it's been a problem throughout the Bible and throughout time. Men have wanted women that God said you can't have them for whatever reason. These men wanted these women of Moab, and, and God had told them earlier in Deuteronomy 7, don't intermarry with these others because they're going to pull your heart away from me. And as we, as we consider women that were off limits to men, think about it. Think about some of those in scripture. What about Samson and Delilah? What about David and Bathsheba? It wasn't because necessarily a different race there, but think of his son Solomon. Solomon loved a whole bunch of foreign women, and look where that got him. They pulled his heart away from God, and God got very angry with Solomon. Matter of fact, the first nine chapters of the Old Testament book of wisdom known as Proverbs, which was written by Solomon, is devoted to making sure that men do not go after women that God has said are off limits. God is angry when people refuse to obey him in this just like anything else because he knows what's best for us. Look at this and how it unfolds. Verse 3, so Israel was joined to Baal of Peor and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. God knew if they went for these foreign women what was going to happen and it did and God was angry because they pulled their, the men's hearts away. Look at verses that follow. Then the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And indeed, so, so that's how serious God is. Verse six, and indeed one of the children of Israel, you wanna talk about in your face. One of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses, in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Dragging the forbidden fruit right into the midst of the assembly. Wow, you want to talk about arrogance. He's slapping God in the face. Proud of his sin and disobedience, just like the congregation in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 5. Enter faithful Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the grandson of Aaron, the nephew of Nadab and Abihu, the great nephew of Moses, the servant of the living God, Phineas. Phineas had heard from his father Eliezer for sure, 
and even seen some of these things. He was very well acquainted with some of these things that had happened. And he understood how serious sin was to God. And even if Phineas, listen to me close, even if Phineas had to stand alone, he was not going to stand for this. Even if he had to stand alone, he was not going to stand for this. You young folks, you want to know what a superhero of the faith looks like? Phineas is a superhero of the faith. We're going to talk about more this afternoon and throughout Tri-State this year, and I get that. But Phineas was a superhero of the faith because even if he had to stand alone, here's the people standing around. They're not supposed to have these women in here, these foreign women, and they're dragging their hearts away from God. And this one guy shows right up in the midst while Moses and the people are crying and lamenting the situation. Phineas says, oh no. Paraphrase, let's read it for ourselves. And indeed one of the children, as I said, verse six, brought her in. Verse seven, now when Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation, took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. Those who died in the plague were 24,000. These people are dropping like flies, aren't they? I just don't get it. When God says, I am the Lord your God, that means that he is. Period. 24,000 died. I'd say God was pretty serious about disobedience, wouldn't you? So. What did God say about Phineas? That's the big question. Phineas runs in there and he kills this Israelite and this woman, he puts a javelin through him. I mean, that's pretty serious. So what does God have to say about Phineas? Well, let's read, shall we? Verse 10. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. God praised, commended, and rewarded Phineas, because Phineas was going to do what God wanted done, no matter what the cost, no matter what it cost him or the consequences to him, and even if he had to stand alone, he would do so. Why did God praise Phineas? Why did he hold Phineas up and commend him? I'll tell you why. For those of you taking notes, get ready to write really fast. God commended Phineas because Phineas had no tolerance for those things that God found intolerable. God commended Phineas because Phineas had no acceptance for those who proudly paraded their rejection of God's authority into the assembly. God commended Phineas because Phineas understood that those who love the Lord are to hate evil. 
Psalm 97, verse 10. God commended Phineas because Phineas hated the work of those who fell away. Psalm 101, 3. God commended Phineas because Phineas abhorred every false way. Psalm 119, verse 104. God commended Phineas because Phineas hated those who hated the Lord with a perfect hatred. Psalm 139, 19 through 24. Phineas understood that the fear of the Lord was to hate evil, Proverbs 8, in verse 13. And so he did. And God commended him for it. Is there a lesson there for us? In the ensuing chapters, Phineas' father, Eliezer, would go on to superintend the census with Moses, Numbers chapter 26. Eliezer, his father, would go on to assist with the inauguration of Joshua, Numbers 27. Eliezer would go on to assist in the division of the plunder of the Midianites, Numbers 31. And Eliezer, Phineas's father, would go on to take part in the division of Canaan, Joshua 14. Well, what became of our young, standalone Phineas, the superhero of the faith, if you will, this zealous for God Phineas, after the events in Numbers 25, what happened to him? God had made this covenant with him of peace and, and all of these things that we read about. You know what God did for him because he was so zealous? God went on to reward Phineas's faithfulness with honor, conquest, and victories. Phineas, for example, was instrumental as a leader in the victory over the Midianites in Numbers 31. About seven years, give or take, after that, later, Phineas was handpicked. He was chosen to lead an expedition. Basically, it was a fact-finding mission. He was, he, was, he was picked to lead this fact-finding mission against some of his brethren. And this, this situation was, was pregnant with war. It was just, the potential was there for war between brethren all over the place. But with the help of Phineas, it was averted in Joshua 22. According to 1 Chronicles 9, 19 and 20, it appears that Phineas had been given leadership over the men of Korah, or the descendants of Korah, whose fathers had been swallowed up in number 16. <coughs> Verse 20 of 1 Chronicles 9, 19 and 20, saying of Phineas, check this out, the same thing that the scripture said earlier of Joseph. The Lord was with him. He was given leadership over the Korahites. And it says, the Lord was with him. 
And finally, after his father, Eliezer, died, we see Phineas the Faithful. And that's what I'm calling this sermon this morning. It's Phineas the Faithful. He got it. Nadab and Abihu didn't get it. But boy, their, their nephew got it. Their dad's kid got it. Faithful Phineas. After his father, Eliezer, died, Phineas is promoted to the office of high priest. And he's involved in the victory over the Benjamites, where 25,000 of them perished, judges, Chapter 20. And for those of you that need a list of those scriptures, I'll talk to you later. Come see me. If I'd read them all, we'd be here till dry state. You know, one of the things I love to see in the Bible is when you take a little known figure, one that we don't talk about very often, and you see a phrase applied to that figure that's applied to one of the better known figures. For, for example, we all pretty well familiar with the fact, when we talk about Joseph, that the scriptures say the Lord was with him, right? The Lord was with Joseph. Well, when it says the Lord was with Phineas, it means the same thing, doesn't it? That puts Phineas pretty close to on the same level as Joseph. But for me, there's another place that that is just, for, of all the, the biblical commentaries on who and what faithful and zealous Phineas was and did in Numbers 25, of, of the other places in the Bible that talk about that or spring from Numbers 25, they talk about the blessings and favors that were his because he'd been so zealous for God, even if he had to stand alone. There's one text that to me stands out as the real powerful epitaph that really just summarizes it all because it uses a phrase there that's used of none other than Abraham. There's a phrase used of Phineas that is used of Abraham. Pretty good company, wouldn't you say? Turn to me in your Bibles for our last text, Psalm 106. Psalm 106. Here's the later epitaph on zealous Phineas. The standalone superhero, as it were. Psalm 106, verse 28. As the writer of Psalm 106 goes through the history of Israel here, he, he brings up this very situation we just read about with Phineas. He says in Psalm 106, verse 28, they joined themselves also to Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices made to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. And Phineas, then Phineas, stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped, and that was accounted to him for righteousness. Sounds very Abrahamic, doesn't it? It should. That same phrase is applied to Abraham in Genesis 15, 6, as well as Romans 4 and verse 3. And that was accounted to him for righteousness to all generations forevermore. As we kind of bring these last two sermons together, I want you to consider this. There were a lot of incredible, miraculous things seen by Moses and Aaron. They were instrumental in some of them. Moses holding up his staff, parting the Red Sea, the plagues, all those things we've talked about in the last two lessons. And, and, and you got Nadab 
Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar, whom again, those four, sons of Aaron, heirs apparent to the throne of high priest, to the position of high priest. And, and they either saw themselves or heard from their family about some of those incredible deeds. But to Nadab and Abihu, despite their lineage, despite their history, despite being sons of Aaron, despite being, having Moses as their uncle, to Nadab and Abihu, somewhere along the line it stopped mattering. Somewhere along the line, all that incredible stuff they had seen about God, it stopped mattering. Because they just said, wait, we can offer God whatever we want. He'll be okay with that. No, he won't. But it made a difference. Those same events, and a few more after Nadab and Abihu were charcoaled, a few more of those events, those made a difference to Eliezer and Phineas. They got it. So what's, what's the difference? The difference is which one of those two's footsteps, that is Nadab's and Abihu's or Eliezer and Phineas's, Y'all get to choose whose footsteps you follow in. You, you know, you can be raised in a faithful family. Mom and dad go to church and serve and, and do all this stuff. You can be raised and you can, you can hear the prayers. You can hear about how awesome God is. You can sit in this church building as, as a young adult and you can see everything that matters about God and all this awesome power and the power of prayer and, and our adoration. And, and you can see good people all around you worshiping God. People to whom God is everything. And get out there on your own and decide that what you think matters more than what God thinks and offer God what you want instead of what he asked for. Or you can sit through all those same experiences as a young person and it's going to matter to you. You're going to choose to let it sink in. You're going to choose to put it on your hard drive and let it stick. And you'll be like, Eliezer and Phineas, rewarded, grateful, and obedient to death, even when you have to stand alone. Choice is up to you. The statistics are horrifying when it comes to how many young people will stay in the church and how many will not. Because one soul lost is horrifying. Choice is yours every day. And I hope you'll always remember lessons like these two. Despite great upbringing, two different directions. You see what you choose to see, you believe what you choose to believe, and you answer for it to God. God gave his son for you. Last thing on this earth he wants is for you to face his wrath for what you've done as a human being. He gave his son. Jesus paid the price for every sin ever committed. If you have never responded to that by being baptized so that you don't have to face God full of wrath for your sins, if you want every sin blotted out so that when God looks at your record, there's just no sin there. You're written in his family register, the book of life. God, it's God's will that none should perish. He understands he's a holy and righteous judge. He understands as a human being that you're flawed and he doesn't want you to face him in your sins. Why would you want to do that? You can be baptized because Jesus gave his son to wash away every sin.
And then you continue to live faithfully, giving God what he asked for because he's God. If you've never done that, we'd love to have you baptized this morning. If you are somebody who has been baptized, but you realize in your life you haven't been giving God all that you should be, and you want to fix that, and you're weak just like all of us are, you need the prayers of the church, we will pray for you. But understand this. God loves you more than you'll ever know. He gave more for you than you'll ever understand. And he wants to make you whiter than snow. He does not want you to face his wrath. That he'll have to deliver for the sins we've committed because he's a holy God. This morning, if you have a need, will you come to the front as we stand and sing?